It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Joe's at work. I'm recording by myself, but you will get a PFF update from Joe taking a look at some of the trends since the bye week. We've talked about these on the podcast. I have personally tweeted several of these. Most importantly, and maybe Joe will talk about this, or maybe most impressively is a better way to put it, Joe Mixon has been the best running back in the NFL, according to PFF, since the Bengals bye week. Carlos Dunlap is also balling out in the second half of the season. Good for him. Love to see that consistency. I'll take a look at the PFF grades from yesterday's game. Of course, get you the update on the Bengals' odds, according to Football Outsiders, for that number one overall pick. And we'll talk through some of the scenarios that are in play for the Bengals as they are part of the four-team race to the bottom for the first overall pick in the 2020 draft. But before we start to talk about the draft odds and the teams that are still in contention, we have an A.J. Green update. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter on Monday, A.J. Green was in Green Bay visiting noted foot specialist Dr. Robert Anderson. Anderson treats many foot injuries in the NFL and just happens to be located in Green Bay. But if he's there today, says Schefter, it's hard to imagine Green's return this season. Of course, as we've discussed, he's a free agent this offseason. He will be 31 years old, and he hasn't played essentially since before the bye in 2018. He was having a pretty nice year in 2018 before he injured his foot. He played essentially eight games. He did start one other game that he had to leave almost immediately as he aggravated that injury. But in the first eight games of the season... He had nearly 700 yards. He had six touchdowns. That would put him on pace for about 90 catches, 1,400 yards, and 12 touchdowns. That's the most recent that we've seen A.J. Green be healthy and playing. And it's really not that long ago. It's only last year that A.J. Green was still a very effective player in the NFL, and he still has that pedigree. But for the Bengals, it's a real question at this point. How do you commit money to an aging wide receiver who hasn't played for the last 20 or 20 of the last 21 at least regular season games. Obviously, if he is healthy, there's no reason to believe that he can't still be an effective player in the NFL, even if he's not the superstar that he once was as athleticism wanes a little bit as he gets into his 30s. That said, can you trust him? Can you trust his health? He's taken a long time to recover from injuries that other players occasionally recover from more quickly and this isn't a slight at AJ Green he could just be 
unusually unlucky in this recovery. He's reportedly had two setbacks, and maybe this is another one. Every time he's tried to ramp it up, he's had to shut it down, and maybe that's why he's gone to see a foot specialist. In 2014, he injured his toe for the first time, missing three games with a strained toe ligament. He later tore those toe ligaments, sitting out games in 2016 and 2018 with torn toe ligaments. He had surgery on that foot in December, you all remember, before coming back in training camp supposedly fully healthy and suffering that high ankle sprain on one of the very first plays of the practice. We'll find out if Green will play again in Cincinnati, likely this offseason when the Bengals have a difficult decision to make. And so regardless of whether Green is back with the Bengals in 2020, he will not be helping them win any games down the stretch in 2019. At least that's the way it seems. The Bengals do go to Miami this week for a game that will potentially dictate quite a bit of the beginning of the draft order in the 2020 draft. Washington plays New York this week. Those are the teams currently picking second and fourth, but the winner will surely drop out of the top three. Meanwhile, Miami currently picking third, with a win, would again drop back, potentially toward the back of the top five, maybe further. But if the Bengals win, then their chances of that number one pick become a little bit dicey. Cleveland seems to be spiraling out of control late in the season here, suffering a bad loss to the hands of the Arizona Cardinals this week. The Bengals play the Browns in Cincinnati in Week 17, and this team is known to win games in December, especially the last few years that have no impact on the playoff picture or the team's long-term expectations. If the Bengals were to win their last two games this year, the likelihood is, is that they would lose that number one overall pick, potentially drop to second or third in the draft order, and that probably would cost them their shot at Joe Burrow, at least without trading a King's ransom to move up and get him. According to Football Outsiders, however, the Bengals still have a 72.5% chance to earn the number one overall pick, leading Miami's 10.5%, Washington's 8.6%, and New York's 8.4%. It's Cincinnati's number one overall pick to lose, and the way they would lose it would be by winning games that don't matter for this season or next season in December, Although Zach Taylor continues to argue that these games matter, building momentum matters, and there's something to be said for morale in the locker room, especially for the large majority of this team that will be back next year. But a quarterback that can change this franchise ultimately will do more. And while I don't expect the players or the coaches to intentionally try to lose, I sure do hope the Bengals end up with that number one pick to guarantee themselves a shot at Joe Burrow. So before we get to Joe talking about some of the positive trends, I imagine we've seen from PFF in the second half of the season, despite what George Iloka said about PFF, and we can talk about that. Maybe I'll talk about that after Joe's segment, talk about the value that PFF still offers. I want to quickly remind you that if you are going to Miami this weekend, if you're making a last minute trip now that this game looks like it will really matter because if the Bengals lose this game, They just have to beat the Browns and finish out the season. Everybody wins, right? Except the Browns. And like we said yesterday on the podcast, we don't care about the Browns on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. But if you are going down to Miami, remember to check out our Twitter page for sweet deals on a luxury hotel room at the Epic Kimpton Miami Hotel and also cheap tickets. We have your hookup. 
And Joe isn't here to tell you about the sweet safety products he's looking up today at Abco Safety, but I'll tell you about them anyway. Abco Safety, our sponsor, a three-time returning sponsor of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, their safety distributor in Cincinnati, partnered with 3M to sponsor Joe and I again, and we really appreciate their patronage, and we hope that that is a good reason for you to go check them out. If you or your company purchase safety equipment, give Abco Safety a call, and they will save you money on your safety budget. You can call them at 513-672-1818. Make sure you mention Lockdown Bengals so that they know you came from us. You can also check out the website, www.abcosafety.com. That's abcosafety.com. But keep in mind that the prices you see there are retail prices. They'll have corporate pricing for their corporate customers, and I recommend that you give them a shot to save you on your safety budget because they will save you money. Today I was looking at the website and I was looking at some high-vis gear. They've got some nice high-vis shirts, vests, that sort of thing. It's the middle of winter. We talked about this, I think, on the podcast last week, but I walk dogs every day after I go to work. And on these winter days, it's dark outside when I'm walking that dog and I need to be seen. So he and I stay safe. And these high-vis vests do a much better job than my black winter jacket. Go check them out, www.abcosafety.com. And call them at 513-672-1818, mention the podcast, and save some money on your safety gear. After about four weeks, I was looking at PFF grades and how much lower the Bengals looked uh, compared to previous years. You know, it was across the board. There was maybe like three or four players that were playing above where they were last year under Marvin Lewis and, and this team in 2018. So I, I thought that was really interesting at the time. That continued throughout the you know, the, the first eight games until the bye week. And it, everything seems to have flipped uh, to at least some extent since the bye week. And I just wanted to give a look at that from the bye week on. Uh, I'm going to have a whole, pro- I might do a whole article on this, maybe a, a series of tweets if I can't publish that stuff on The Athletic. Sometimes I cannot. And just look at since the bye week, especially when it comes to PFF grades, uh, especially one guy in particular, first that stands out to me is Carlos Dunlap. Shout out to him because he is now has a commanding lead on the number one defensive player on the Bengals roster per PFF with an 86.7 grade. He's been super consistent. He missed some time. There was also a little bit of lulls in his play, if you will, as you know, when the Bengals were not winning and then when the offense wasn't putting up points at all. Not that they're winning now, right? But you know what I'm saying. When the offense wasn't putting up points at all. Uh, it was hard for the defense to get off. But now Dunlap, since the bye week, is at a 90 grade, which is elite category. That's elite tier uh, stuff for him. And he's just been really, really good. He had that three-sack game a few weeks ago that really stands out. Uh, what was that? Against the Jets. That's right. Three sacks against the Jets. He had one this week again against the Patriots. Over the since the bye week, he's had now one, two, three, six sacks since the Raiders game. He's just been on fire, and he's playing well. He's playing really, really well, and this is his best actually great against the run in his career. So it's not just the sacks. He's playing really well. So I just wanted to start off with that one because shout-out to Carlos Dunlap. He's the best player on the team right now. The other one is Joe Mixon, right? Running so well. For whatever reason, the offensive line blocking better. Sure, they changed up some of the scheme, more of those shotgun tosses that are working almost every time, but more pin-and-pull stuff, more man uh, and, and gap blocking rather than zone blocking. And I think 
it's not just the blocking. That's the one thing through the first half of the year we definitely talked about here. I tweeted about it a bunch. Mixon's got to make people miss or else none of this matters. You can have great blocking and only go for four yards if he's not going to make somebody miss. And instead, he was getting poor blocking, plus not making anybody miss. And that's why so many games he was, he came up with 10 yards rushing, 11 yards rushing in two games this year. And now, since the bye week, he's averaging over 100 yards on the ground per game. He's going to eclipse 1,000 yards. He's just 75 yards away from that now. I could see where he ends up with 1,100 yards. And we look at it like, man, what a year for a guy that did nothing in the first half for, for, a lot of circumstances and reasons, right? Because the line was poor. The offense was poor as a whole. He was rusty. You could definitely see that. He wasn't making anybody miss. That is not the case now. He's running hard. He's he's making people miss. You can give it to him 25 times. It doesn't seem to slow down at all. That's definitely one thing about Mixon is that he is the same physical, fast, bruising runner in the fourth quarter as he is in the first quarter. He's an energy provider and creator. But what I wanted to focus on with Mixon was his pass protection. Because we've said countless times on this podcast that he needs to be more involved in the passing game. And I've said this since he was drafted. And I was even told by a coach last year on the team that if he wants to be more involved in the passing game, he needs to pass pro, he needs to pass protect, and he needs to stop dropping passes or trying to one-hand passes. Remember those last year where he would do that a bunch. And his grade last year, PFF pass protection, was a 39. It was dreadful. It was the worst of his career. This year, he's up to a 62. He's doubled his pass pro snaps. He's given up less pressures. He hasn't given up a sack yet. And because of it, we're starting to see him catch a little bit more passes. I still think there's a long way to go there. But getting him on the field is step number one. And to do that, he needs to be able to be trusted to pass protect. And he is doing that right now. I don't know. I almost wanted to say this is a bigger um, happy point or bonus or whatever you want to say, however you want to categorize it, his pass protection, I almost enjoy more than his uh, making guys miss and running as well as he is, even though that's, it's hard to say that. I almost said it. I don't know if I'm going to say that, but it leads to him getting much more valuable in the passing game. And right now you cannot extend Joe Mixon based on what he's shown you in the first three years. Maybe in year four, he is McCaffrey and Kamara as a receiver, which he definitely can be if you watch them at Oklahoma. And if he is, then I'm extending him. If he's not that as a receiver, then it's, you know, team building wise, you can't extend him. I don't care how much we like him and how cool he is and how much energy he provides. You're going to lose massive value by extending Mixon if he's just a runner. Uh, the other guy I would like to say, Bobby Hart, enjoyed enjoying the three-game stretch of his career, pass protection, giving up just one pressure in 117 pass block snaps for him. That's crazy. Number one, I mean, he's not known for his pass protection. If anything, I always think he's a little bit better run blocker. He's grading way better in pass pro than run blocking this year for PFF. But he really didn't face anyone for the Jets, the Browns. Olivier Vernon was out for the Browns, so was Miles Garrett and, and the Patriots. None of those teams have great edge rushers. He should be able to continue that if Olivier Vernon isn't there week 17 for the Browns, and the Dolphins don't really have much on the edge rush. they got a couple guys they've invested in, but really knowing that an average tackle shouldn't be able to handle. And that's the way Bobby Hart is playing right now. It makes it interesting. If he finishes this year, like a lot of these players that are since the bye week playing really well, if he finishes this year playing with his head above water, you may think of right tackle as 
Maybe it's not even a need. Maybe you don't spend that second round pick at right tackle. Maybe it's definitely left guard. But shout out to Michael Jordan. He's been decent. He's been serviceable since he's been reinserted at left guard. He had a lot of wavy games, a lot of ups and downs, really, really bad stretches or drives or even individual snaps. He's not having those as much anymore. He has flatlined it much more. It's not high-end play at left guard, but he's a fourth-round pick. He's a young guy. I think from what I've seen, I'm like, okay, you may want a situation where he's at least competing for a job next year, and I'm completely comfortable with that based on the last four games he's played. I would love for him to finish this last two games out really high because overall on the year, it's not a great year, but um, you know, considering the second half, and that's what we're trying to do here in this segment, he's been... Decent. You can start him. He's been on the level of John Miller, not in terms of technical refinement, because I think even Miller, when I watch him, he loses and wins maybe as much as Jordan, but it's how you win. It's the tricks you can do at that position, the little ways to recover that Miller definitely has because he's a veteran that I appreciate him more and feel more comfortable with him starting because of it. But if they're winning, losing at the same rate, then what's really the difference, right? So, uh, it makes you think Jordan can get to that level. So looking at some of these other guys, the top five defensive players since the bye week, based on PFF grading, overall defensive grade. Carlos Dunlap with a 90, Josh Dupoe with an 80. So those two guys right there leading the pack. Dupoe's been really good since the bye week. Nick Vigil is number three with a 71. He did not carry the same type of grades he's had those previous four weeks, but he was still... He was average this week, uh, if not maybe slightly below, but he was serviceable. Andrew Billings, number four, with a 70, if we round it up, 71. Jesse Bates, with a 70, is number five. That's good to see. No Geno Atkins, though. Atkins grade pre and post bye week has been about the same, maybe slightly lower on the uh, post bye week. He's grading around a 69 right now, which is okay. Dark Wesnard follows that up with a 69. So it could be worse for those guys, but... I think listing that, if you say Dunlap, Tupou, Vigil, Billings, Bates, Atkins, and Denard have played really good since the bye, you're not wrong. Sam Hubbard's after that. He's just got an average score, but uh, Hubbard is a quality contributor at this point. So, because it's, it, overall for the year, Hubbard's been pretty good. He hasn't had a pre and post bye swing in his grade. He's just been who he's been the entire time, which is a good thing. That There's value in that for sure. And I'd like to go to the offensive side, look at those top guys also. On offense, that's the bye. The top-graded player is Tyler Boyd, followed by Cordy Glenn. Think about that. Followed by Cordy Glenn. He's 67 overall. His pass blocking is a 77 overall. But he has been charged with eight pressures and three sacks. If you remember him and watch him, they were kind of like, meh. You know, he didn't necessarily get beat. The play was just supposed to be a quick pass. And Dalton was forced to, to hold on to it or... Uh, one was a stunt and, you know, guys are, two guys are coming and he's got to try and take one and the other and he tries to hold on to both and it doesn't work out. So I think that's why his grade's high despite giving up three sacks. But if you look at everyone, three sacks isn't that bad. Hopkins has given up three sacks. Uh, Billy Price with one, Jordan with one, Hart with one, but Hart with 12 pressures, Jordan with 10 pressures. So you see how the balance there, uh, ends up working out for them. So overall, for the offensive line, I think especially because I think that's, for me, where we want to see the improvement, where we want to see these guys play better. It feels like they're playing better. The next guy on the offensive line with the highest grade is Bobby Hart with his 57 overall. Hopkins with a 56. 
Jordan with a 56, and Miller with a 55. What that means is, if you're getting 55 in that range, you're serviceable. You can start for a lot of playoff teams. Uh, it doesn't mean you're playing well. It doesn't mean you're playing poor. It means you're having your average ups and downs. You're wholly replaceable, but you also could plug in a guy that's worse in, in a, in a lot of for a lot of teams. So everyone on the offensive line since the bye week has been serviceable, at least with Cordy Glenn actually being pretty good. And the one guy who did play, and he, what do we got here, 94? No, that's more, 145 snaps total since the bye, a 40 grade for Billy Price. He's the only one that hasn't responded since the bye. Another strike against him in a disaster of a sophomore season. At this point, I don't even know if you can consider him any part of this roster at all. And I, and I say that I know he's going to be on it because his contract's already paid for. We discussed this under last week's mailbag, I think. But I'm more apt to be putting in Michael Jordan right now, and I understand why. And he's playing better when I watch the tape. Jordan playing better than Price is. It's what a sad state for him right now because I don't even know if he's going to get the chance to compete next year. If you look at it, if center's locked up with Hopkins, if they extend him, and right guard Miller's under contract, uh, I can see them bringing back Alex Redman, even though he's on IR, giving him a one-year deal or something. And then Michael Jordan... Is Cordy Glenn still here? He's got one more year on the left on his deal. Is he competing at left guard? If Bobby Hart and Jonah Williams are your tackles, I can see that. And then, did I mention Michael Jordan? But then you're probably going to bring a draft pick in. And at that point, Billy Price is just, what, a backup center? That's it? Man, things dropped so quickly for him and his prospects with the Bengals. It's it's interesting to see and, and look at it from that perspective that just, you know, you spend these first-round picks, you got like a 50-50 shot, and yet you're still disappointed when the guy ends up on the wrong side of that 50%, right? Like, it, it basically, look at their 20 picks in the 20s lately. William Jackson and uh, Billy Price. One guy is a cornerstone of your defense. One guy is a backup that you cannot rely on at all. And that's where they're at. And, you know, you, you get to it like, all right, uh, I guess that is what it is. One guy I didn't mention, Auden Tate has a uh, 67 grade since the bye week. Tyler Eifert with a 65. These are all pretty good grades, above average grades. Tyler Tyler Eifert has been uh, pretty decent. He Those couple catches he made this week, plus the two that he almost made, that looked like 2015 Tyler Eifert. I'm excited to see if they bring him back or what the role is. You get him a good quarterback, and maybe he produces a little more. He's He stayed healthy. Goal number one, right? For Tyler Eifert, stay healthy for the entire season. He's done that. Check. I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not even sure in 2015 he did that. No, he didn't do that. So, yeah, that's that's big for Eifert. And he's about to have the second most catches he's ever had in a season. If he finishes the final two games the way he has been, catching three or so balls a game, good for him. Good for him this year to bounce back and be able to at least contribute, even though he has made almost no plays on offense, because nobody has, right? They're not putting up points. They're averaging 14 points per game. Uh, they really... If you can't pass in this league, you are not going to put up points. I don't care. They have the best running game in the league the last four or five weeks. It doesn't equate to points. So you've got to be able to throw, and that's the biggest reason why uh, we're looking at this like, okay, final two games, finish it, and we get Joe Burrow. Other than that, uh, I think we're looking at this roster post-buy. We're looking at the coaches post-buy, Jim Turner, Luana Rumo, uh, obviously Zach Taylor, and 
I heard a quote today listening to the radio. They were talking about the Steelers only on their third coach ever, right? That's pretty crazy. And they talked to Art Rooney about how how was he able to do that? How was he able to pick the right guy every time? And he said, you take the smartest guy possible, the guy with the best qualifications possible, uh, that you think will be a good head coach. And then you support him and give him as much time as he needs until he becomes that guy. And I thought of Zach Taylor right away because of all the things you hear about him, we didn't get to see most of that through the first eight weeks. Almost none of it we got to see. Besides a couple, you know, good decisions to go for it rather than punt in the other team's end zone or other team's uh, side of the field. So all the things you hear are like, okay, was that just sold to us? What is there any value actually in any of that? So maybe this was a hire where they believe he's going to be ready in two years. And they believe you got to give him time because we're the Bengals. We're not just going to attract anybody. Give him two years and then he'll be ready to go. He'll be the guy we think he can be. Almost like a developmental quarterback, right? And if that's the scenario and we're looking at it from that perspective, let's finish these two games. I just I just enjoy where this, how this team has played despite the wins and losses, uh, the way they've played since the bye week. And I thought the numbers for PFF really backed them up. I thought the evaluation, the stuff I see on film, I did a film review for The Athletic this week. People seem to enjoy it because players are playing better. And that's fun football despite the losses. And we'll hope Joe is right about Zach Taylor. I think he deserves another chance. There's something to be said for those comparisons to some of those coaches we looked at last week that also started 1-11. Chuck Knoll, one of those Steelers coaches, was one of them. Before I talk a little bit about the value of PFF data and PFF grades, I want to talk quickly about Breaking Tea. If you're looking for last-minute fun sports gifts for the holidays, go to breaking.com slash locked on. Find cool sports t-shirts built around teams' passion moments. are great for all fans. There's going to be stuff even for us Bengals fans. Go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Search the site for some great shirts and fun sports gifts for the holiday season. Now let's talk about PFF a little bit, right? Because George Iloka was on the podcast just last week on, on Thursday night, Friday morning, and he said that you have to take PFF with a large grain of salt because PFF doesn't know what the coaches call, which is true to some degree. You don't always know exactly what the call was, but people that watch football tape a lot and people that spend a lot of time around the game say football is not rocket science. You can get a feel for what's being called on both sides of the ball if you watch a lot of tape. You know what the tendencies are, and you know what the plays are. Sometimes you'll see things, you'll say, oh, I'm not sure if that's cover two, I'm not sure if that's man, but most of the time, it's pretty clear. So that being said, PFF has guys that all they do is watch film. They have ex-NFL players, they have coaches that all review the grades, and having worked at PFF, I can tell you that I know that NFL teams more often than not agree with PFF grades. There are always exceptions to this, right? Mike Zimmer doesn't like PFF. Marvin Lewis never liked PFF. Old school coaches generally don't care for outside opinions evaluating their players because they all say the same thing. You don't know what the play call was. How could you possibly evaluate our players on those plays? But everyone also agrees that Aaron Donald's one of the best players in the league if not the best defensive player in the league, and he's consistently the top-graded player for PFF. 
every now and then you have a quarterback game where you think, oh, he threw for four touchdowns and he had four incomplete passes. Why is his grade so low? And then you take another look at it and, and three of those touchdown passes were tipped balls or something that should have been intercepted, but they go down as touchdowns. And PFF does a good job with that example, right? PFF isn't infallible though, but they're a very good heuristic. And by that, I mean, they're a good starting point. They're a foundation from which you can compare. So if PFF says, you know, Bobby Hart had a really good game this week, then I can go back at the film and watch and see if the film backs that up. And then they have very rigid controls in place to say, okay, how many pressures did he give up? How many pass loss wins and losses did he have? So a lot of that stuff is still very valuable and it's most valuable as PFF has said, because we've talked to them on this podcast about it, at evaluating the in the trench play. Because those are generally more one-on-one, two-on-one matchups where you can see specifically what should happen and what did happen, right? So those are the easiest ones to judge. And then there are flaws in the system, but avoided tackles for running backs, that's an easy one. Missed tackles, that's a pretty easy one. And they capture all these data points, right? So the value in PFF isn't necessarily just the grades. The grades are a good starting point for evaluation when you need a place to start when you're looking at film. But the data they collect is very useful on top of that. They have what their primary business, I believe, is with NFL teams is tendency data. So they'll get your formation, your alignment, and then what each player did on each play. They track routes run by receiver. They track targets. They track all that stuff. That's the stuff that the public doesn't necessarily get or get all of. But they also do passing charts. That's useful for the public. We get access to that. We can see what parts of the field NFL quarterbacks are targeting. They also have that data for college players. So how is PFF useful for college players? Well, you have all the same data you're tracking for NFL players for college players. And since you're doing it the same way over and over, you can determine what stats that you track correlate or are predictive or are the most predictive because maybe you only get a certain correlation, a certain R R value for those of you that know probability. And you only say, you know, it's a strong correlation with success. And for PFF, they'll talk about their clean pocket passing numbers for quarterbacks. And those things translate really well to the NFL level. So that's another application where you say, okay, how do my college stats for these draft prospects translate to the pros? Where are my, where are my success stories? Where are the ones that our data didn't get right? And then why? And then how do we refine it? And then they keep working on that. And then you have a use, another useful data set, right? That helps you with your draft evaluations. And it'll tell you about a guy who maybe you have as a seventh round prospect from Ohio University then you can go back and watch the tape on it. Those guys don't always pan out. There's a reason that most NFL teams aren't on them, but I guarantee you it gives them a list, sometimes of players that they might have missed, to go take another look at. So that's some of the value of PFF data, in my opinion. It cannot be taken as gospel. It needs to be used with other data points, be that your own eyes and watching film, other stats, whatever it is. It's not useful as a omniscient, you know, source of truth kind of thing, but it is a useful data point in the toolkit that we have as evaluators and football fans. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Joel will be back tomorrow with Travis from the Locked On Dolphins podcast for Crossover Wednesday. 
as the race for the bottom in what was going to be the Tua Bowl, but now looks to be the Burrow Bowl is coming this weekend. We'll get your preview tomorrow. And until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.